Hello everyone. My name is Joshua Gilliland. I'm one of the founding attorneys of the Legal Geeks. With me tonight is Thomas Harper and we're going to go all Mandalorian on the second episode of the series, The Child. Thomas, how are you? You know, I, for whatever reason, I have a strange hankering for egg right now. And maybe it's just a product placement in the latest episode. Yeah, I see those at Galaxy's Edge in the near future. Uh, Suga. Uh, ideally, they have a better serving methodology that's more hygienic. You don't have to grab at it amongst a crowd of Jawas, I hope. Yeah, that's a... Uh, like how often do those guys eat? Anyway, there's a there's a lot to talk about with with the second episode. That's only clocks in around thirty minutes, and my God, it's glorious. Yeah, we we were talking before. I I think this episode was one of those times where you have this out of at least for me, I have this sort of out of body experience where you realize you're watching a really iconic moment in Star Wars as it's happening, and I've watched it probably four times by now since Friday and it, it the stuff we're going to talk about here I think the episode start to finish is going to be one that we talk about for years and years to come agreed it was pure Star Wars it had all the elements of what makes Star Wars Star Wars and it's fun and when you just throw in so much of it's just visual storytelling with minimal dialogue that's also pretty astounding well, let's jump in. And I, I initially thought adventures and babysitting as <laughs> the opening scene of walking with the target who's in his floating bassinet. And I, I don't know if we should give him a name like Oz or some other, uh, something beyond target since that is dehumanizing. <laughs> target. Because <laughs> uh, that's what it says. Target. The, yeah, that's what it says in the description, the target. Uh, but. So, like, what's the duty of care for a child? I mean, you know, I, I thought shouldn't child protective services have been called fairly early on when when you res end up rescuing an infant? What's your what's your what's your thoughts? Well, I, the the problem for the Mandalorian is that he has he's not only stepped in and sort of assumed care of this child, which I think the law would impart a duty on him. But he's introduced a danger or like a repeated series of dangers into this child's life that, you know, I don't know, wouldn't arguably exist if he hadn't shot his way into this compound and, and taken him out of there. As a parent myself, I want one of those floating bassinets. That would be amazing. But, uh, yeah, I think he's, he's got a problem here because he's not only assumed custody and care of the child, but he's rolling him through the, the wilderness and uh, – in and out of ambush after ambush. Yeah, I'm not sure if he's responsible for all the danger because the Tradosians, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that correctly, when they jump them, they also have one of those trackers. So right. who else has put a bounty on the kid? Or is the bounty on the Mandalorian now? I'm not sure, but the kid might regardless be in danger no matter what, because there could be bounty hunters upon bounty hunters trying to off an infant and they don't care. And the reason I think the tracker is uh, for the target 
is the Tredozin, I uh, hope I pronounced that correctly. You're in the ballpark. Yeah, made a run after the Mandalor Mandalorian's down, he makes a charge at the infant. He doesn't take a kill shot at the at the Mandalorian. He goes after the infant. So that makes and he's me think, rearing back. Yeah. So that that makes me think there's a kill order on the kid, and we don't know from who. Yeah. When you you raise a good point because generally, and and the the definition of child abuse is gonna or child neglect is gonna differ from state to state. But generally speaking, when we talk about child abuse, it's, it's when an individual either acts or fails to act to prevent something that causes serious harm. And to the extent that he's got a legal responsibility to some level over this kid, he did exactly what he's supposed to do. He did it in a really awesome way by completely disintegrating the, the trend ocean. But uh, that's what he's supposed to do. That's sort of like the, the most extreme black and white example with uh, a crazy lizard bounty hunter rearing back to, to chop this kid. Absolutely. So, yeah, there's a lot there. There's a lot there. But when we think of the, the fireside moment, which is, again, great visual storytelling, <laughs> and Oz gets out of the bassinet and is you know, holding up his hand like he's trying to heal the Mandalorian's uh, injury, and is, is putting the kid back in the bassinet and closing the lid on him so it's dark. Is, is that abuse? Well, he's restraining him, right? Yeah, and you could argue trying to keep him safe so he doesn't wander off. Yeah. But, it, but on the flip side, it's also, no, I don't want to, you know, swaddle you and hold you close either. So it's not, uh, it's, it's, I mean, there's a defense, but it's a little problematic. Um, yeah, well, and I think the, the standard is important too because you can you can get in trouble and abuse a child by unreasonably restraining them. So you, I mean, you see tragic stories in the news all the time where parents are just sticking kids in cribs or, or swaddling them to, to prevent them from moving around uh, for their convenience sake and, and without regard for the child's. But here you you raise a really good point that this is, he's trying to do this a little bit to keep him out of the way, but he's kind of wandering around. There's dangerous stuff all around. It's for his safety. Uh, and it doesn't look like there's any indication that he does it for any longer than is reasonable, maybe overnight. Yeah. And what's he feeding the kid? Because the kid eats a frog creature, <laughs> which kind of cute that there's an amphibian in a desert environment, but. Which is sure he's he's graduated to solid foods, so that's a good sign that he's developing just right on track. <laughs> and a robust digestive system to be able to handle an entire frog that's a third of his body mass. So again, a lot there. Yeah. I and mean, I appreciate that the Mandalorian has experienced the true essence of parenthood within twenty four hours of taking custody of this this baby that <laughs> you turn your back for one second and it's got a gigantic space toad in its mouth <laughs> spit that out <laughs> on the flip side he only refers to the infant as it so that's a little disturbing yeah yeah well i don't know if he's changed a, a baby yoda diaper yet so maybe he doesn't know <laughs> there's also the you know it's like you don't want to uh you know, instill any humanity in the target that you're supposed to deliver okay. to the Imperial remnant uh, because that just 
you might feel bad at that point. So he's clearly not used to this type of target. Well, let's get back to, you know, he, he returns back to uh, the Razor Crest where he left it park. And we have Jawa stripping the Razor's uh, Crest. On a preliminary matter, that is absolutely grand theft. Grand theft is taking somebody else's personal property that's of a value of over $950 and don't know what the coaxium exchange rate is, but we're going to assume that's over $950 worth of property that's being taken. And the other part of the definition, at least in California, is if property is taken from, from a vehicle, that, that can also get into grand theft. And while the uh, Razor Crest is not a car, it is a sweet ride. And I would argue it's analogous because, I mean, let's face it, who wouldn't want to take one of those out for a spin? Now, what, what happens next is where I think we get into the problem area of uh, the Mandalorian rightly wants to stop this felony from taking place. Uh, so he disintegrates three uh, <laughs> Jawas. And it's like, ooh, ooh I, that, that's a problem. Uh, can you talk us through the issue of you know, uh, lethal defense of property? So I will say it's frowned upon <laughs> in most places. The, the law gives you a pretty wide berth to defend yourself uh, in some situations if, if your life and limb is threatened. But where most states, if not all, draw the line is when it's purely property at issue. Because what they don't want is the Wild West where somebody is stealing your laptop and they lose their life over it. And where you feel that you're legally justified to kill somebody over a piece of property. And as important as personal spaceships are in Star Wars, I have to believe that you know, whatever galactic government is in place at this point in time would frown on that as well. Like they don't want just chaos ruling over mere property rights. And so as attached as he may be and as important as that ship may be to his mission, uh, he exceeded his legal bounds by opening fire on those Jawas, as hilarious as it might have been. Yeah, they uh, they really did pop. There is uh, <laughs> just the robe left. That's a <laughs> hell of a rifle. Flying up in the air. <laughs> it's and He barely hesitates either. I mean, it's he takes one look and sees what they're doing, puts his, his uh, scope down and starts opening fire. I actually am not surprised by that. And I think there would be people who would have the same reaction of get away from my car. Yeah. And while yelling, get away from my car is completely appropriate. Opening fire would not be. It's just, it's, I didn't want him getting into my vehicle. Okay, so you shot him? Like, that's... It'd be one thing if there was a taser. It'd be another thing. It's like you know, to go where I'm purely defending property. So I murdered someone because that's what it turns into when, you know, you get this mindset of like, well, he trespassed, therefore I shot him. You can't do that. You don't get to do that. Uh, he was on my property. So therefore I murdered somebody in cold blood. No, no, 
Yeah. And the, the law wants, and it goes back to this fundamental concept. You, you are protected. Your, your person is protected and others in the house or others around, you can come to the defense of, of other people, but property is stuff, right? It's, it's not what's really important. And so that's where the, the law draws a distinction and it's not even legal to set traps that can cause deadly force either, because that's been something that's, that's come up historically where you'll have, uh, you know, somebody that sets a tripwire connected to a shotgun to defend their house. Um, and it's not okay. Right. So, uh, he's going to have to find some other way and, and ultimately does to hilarious, <laughs> pretty hilariously in this episode to try to get his ship parts back. Yeah, just because somebody's watched uh, Rambo with Grandpa and thinks like, oh, well, I can put this tiger track trap in my backyard. It's like, no, you can't. You know, that scene in Predator is pretty awesome, but you can't do that in your backyard. No. 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 Uh-uh. That aside, uh, yeah, springs, landmines, you're not supposed to do that. Now we do have, uh, after, you know, he, he goes back to uh, Nick Nolte's character and uh, something with a K, are, are you? Coolio. Coolio. Yeah, I could be butchering that, but something since, like that. Since it's never actually spoken in the episode, it's really no hard <laughs> to know how to pronounce it. Uh, it's like a Scrabble word when all you're left with is uh, just a bunch of vowels in your on your plate <laughs> but that's worth, what you come up with but it's worth 300 points so yay. <laughs> uh yeah uh boy howdy uh well he they decide to go trade with the uh jawas and they ask him to put down his weapons because they well before we get there there's the high speed chase so we we have the Mandalorian uh, climbing up on the, on the sand crawler, and it's nice to see that the sand crawler can actually move quickly. Yeah, they that could, thing can haul. <laughs> yeah, it's like in A New Hope, the original Star Wars, it, the thing literally just crawls, so it's not moving fast. It's it's going like three miles an hour. You know, when you're going across the desert, that beats you know burning to death, but it it, it looks slow. This thing had, you know, high speed. Yeah, they. Yeah. I, I think they were injecting coaxium into the directly into the drive line. <laughs> yeah, and and parts of it reminded me of uh, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. With, oh yeah, with the tank fight, and you know, trying to even scrape him off the side of of the sand crawler. Uh, but he, you know, he kills at least well, throws out I think another two Jawas. Uh, you know, in this and definitely injures at least one more uh, who sticks his head out one of the <laughs> portholes. Uh, like thoughts on that? Because like this is borderline, well, it's, I, I would call it mutual combat at this point in time. Uh, how would you classify that, that part of the episode? I, though, awesome. <laughs> this is like, <laughs> I didn't own a sandcrawler toy as a kid, but if I did, this is the kind of scene I would have played out. And I have to, you pointed this out before we started recording. This is John Favreau deciding that finally he's got the chance to film 
a real Star Wars scene that he played out in his backyard or at the park a thousand times uh, with his little Boba Fett action figure and remote control sand crawler. Um, I, <laughs> I was, as much as I love the Mandalorian, I was really behind the Jawas. Like, <laughs> you know, they've got this, this crazy guy who's open fire on them. They're just trying to make a living and they stumble upon this, this ship that's in nice condition and the parts are going to feed their little tribe or, or whatever their social structure is probably for a while. And they're just on their merry way until a few of them get absolutely disintegrated. And then the crazy guy chases them and starts climbing up their home. And, uh, you know, if this planet, wherever it is in the galaxy, has a version of the castle doctrine, they've got a right to defend their home. And they do it quite awesomely, like throwing pots and pans and every bit of, like, scrap that they have out the portholes. And you get that payoff scene at the top where he finally gets up there and there's like 20 Jawas all with their weapons charged. And they would have been, I think, justified to use deadly force in that instance. But instead, they uh, take the humane approach, stun him with like 20, uh, 20 little stun blasters simultaneously and just go on their merry way. So I, I was behind the Jawas on that one. I think, but for the Mandalorian armor, that would have been fatal to anybody else. <laughs> How many volts was that? Oh, God. And because you know, those <laughs> weapons are clearly designed to stop a droid, because that's where we saw it first used in 77. So, yeah, I, I do agree with that analysis. And there's a debatable issue on whether or not they're the aggressor, because they... I would take the position they were stealing. You know, if the ship yeah. was locked, you know, it's like it, it clearly wasn't abandoned. You know, it's, it's, they, they were in the wrong to begin with and the Mandalorian gave chase. The wild card is he vaporized three of them and <laughs> that's highly problematic uh, in this because it had been, you know, him running up yelling, get away, get away. Like and like and then they took off with this stuff. That's completely different than he killed three of them, and you know they realize, oh crap, there's <laughs> we stole, we made the the choice to steal from the exact wrong person in the entire galaxy. Yeah, is you know looking back at the original, you now there there's a good argument that. Uh, R2-D2 and C-3PO coming down in an escape pod, well, that's a lot like a lifeboat. And since it's a lot like a lifeboat uh, and it lands on the planet, you could say like, hey, that's that's now a derelict vessel because it's abandoned because the, the owners aren't coming for it and the droids not being sentient life forms. But property and out wandering the desert, they, the job was could arguably say like, hey, they were abandoned and therefore we salvaged them because they were just out walking around in the desert. So we, we did what we do. Now there's, there's some strong counter arguments to that with like, those are obviously things of value and you should make a effort to return them to the proper owner, which the job was don't do, but they at least have an argument that uh, the droids were abandoned. I think in this case, you know, the Razor Crest had not crash landed. It wasn't right. like it was all broken up 
it was securely landed. I'm going to go with the door was locked because she seems like the type of guy that's going to lock the door. Yeah. And they start stripping some dude's spaceship. You should be on notice that could end badly. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that, that does result in the high-speed chase. And again, the debate on who was the aggressor initially. And I, th- I think that's, and that's what trials can be made of. But when they go to barter with the Jawas, and this is the first time we see Jawas with subtitles, uh, the Mandalorian's told to put down his weapons, and he says, weapons are part of my religion. Care to get into the First Amendment uh, issues with that? Well, so the, <laughs> that was probably, if not my favorite, my top three favorite moments in this entire series so far, albeit just having two episodes but it's just it perfectly encapsulates him as a character but his problem is going to be that these are non-government act actors and so what we don't have here is the government stepping in and uh, taking some stance about his free exercise of religion it's another private party and there are certainly laws on the books that that you know, prevent a, a private party, a private business, maybe a, a uh, you can consider them like a little, the Jawa Corporation here um, from discriminating on the basis of religion, like a, a public accommodation law would come to mind. And, and under, uh, under federal law, you can't discriminate on the basis of religion, but it's going to be hard to apply, apply that law to like an open Jawa encampment. I don't know if, you know, I guess you could stretch it and say that they just drive around. It's like a a mobile yard sale and, and they invite the public in to trade and stuff. So maybe it applies. Um, but I think even under public accommodation law, they're going to have the ability to, to reasonably say, this guy just dis- disintegrated several of us and attacked our, our sand crawler and killed a number of our brethren. We don't think he's safe to be at our little trading post with his rifle or anything that can kill. So you can leave those behind and they're going to be protected. They're not going to have to let him uh, come into their, come into their establishment. uh, Yeah. It'd be like, yeah, it's like, I like going to the grocery store with a rifle around my back. It's like, no, (laughs) it's like, don't, don't be a dick. Yeah, if it'd be one thing, maybe that would be maybe that would be allowable under some circumstances. But if you just disintegrated a bag boy in the parking (laughs) lot, that that store manager is going to be well within his rights to say, you know what? Why don't you leave that blaster in the car? (laughs) No. Well, now we get into what I hope is a recurring theme in each episode of The Mandalorian contract law. The Jawas want to trade. So there's offer and acceptance going back and forth. And the issue is like, well, you're asking me to trade to get my stuff back that you stole. That on its face is offensive. (laughs) And then it turns into a performance contract to to get them (laughs) breakfast from a highly dangerous animal. There's something called Uh, duress. And duress can come in a variety of flavors. Uh, 
uh, but there's economic duress. And when you, you get into that, it's you know, forcing someone to uh, take a deal because they have no alternative. And when you go like, so the only way for me to get my stuff back that you stole is for me to go f fight a giant four-legged, long-horned, angry animal. That's the plan. That is economic duress. And it, it could also be uh, statutory duress as well because the jaw was took his personal property and they're making him go through a trial to get it of go fight the monster to get us breakfast. I, it just, it, it upset me to watch this because it's like, <laughs> that's just so, so wrong. Yeah. And unfortunately he's in a position where he can't exactly get to a court to file a suit here. So he's got to strike and, and reach a settlement pretty quickly uh, but I think he'd be protected, like if they didn't give him all of his property back or, or they gave him maybe enough to get the ship moving, but they kept the rest of it. Um, he could come back at him and, and be very protected from a legal standpoint. Uh, I just think this entire sequence was absolutely priceless. This is the moment that I was talking about where you're watching it and you're like, this is a really iconic Star Wars moment as we're seeing salty Jawas uh, make fun of like a really, really dangerous iconic gunslinger in Star Wars and tell him that he sounds like a Wookiee because he can't speak their language well enough. Yeah, I, I do agree. It is Star Wars <laughs> at its purest. The most distilled, rich, pure sugarcane of Star Wars that you have ever seen is this moment well here's a question for you josh so it's a, a performance contract where they they are requiring that he go perform a service get this egg for them uh let's assume in, in reality he successfully kills this mudhorn creature what if he didn't succeed if he you know if that mudhorn beat him down and he had to retreat and he comes back without the egg uh but but clearly put up a fight i mean does does he get any credit in a contract like that for, for not quite succeeding? Yeah, if it's a performance contract, I'm going to go with no, uh, because it's, it's like, did you find the lost dog? It doesn't matter that you tried really hard <laughs> to find the lost dog. I it looked all day. I looked all day. Well, that's too bad. You didn't look in the right place. Therefore, yeah, don't get the reward. It's like we don't have participation ribbons in contract law for specific performance. Uh, now, if they benefited from all of his hard work, there's an unjust enrichment argument that could be made, but that wasn't the situation here. Like he, yeah. he went out. Um, I'm not clear if he was actually able to kill the creature. I, I do hope that it got better because it, it did nothing wrong. It was just hanging out in its cave. And apparently being an egg-laying mammal like a platypus. And <laughs> yeah, I mean, trying to raise its family and here comes some jackass firing blasters and flamethrowers and everything else. <laughs> hey, I'm here for the egg, not the fertilized one. Just need the egg. <laughs> it's all I need. I'll be on my way. Yeah. Uh, it also, I mean, this, this scene 
also had another pure Star Wars moment of the Mandalorian beat to hell. And he's doing his, you know, there, there are two instances of like saving Private Ryan with one like the slow motion concussion cam <laughs> as he's getting his wits back and then holding the knife as this beast charges at him. Again, much like Tom Hanks shooting vainly at the, at the German tank. Very, very saving Private Ryan. And we see the little hand come up and use the force it's like pure star wars yeah absolutely pure star wars of how do we work in the mysticism uh you know just the magic of the force from a 50 year old infant toddler and that's how and i just i was giddy at that moment when I love that he does not understand what he saw, that there are still, it's a big enough galaxy and the Jedi have been gone long enough that he can't quite process, nor can Kuil, what he saw or, or how he's described it. It just doesn't make sense and he can't compute. And I just think that's really, really interesting. I One thing that popped into my head was, as we were talking this through was uh, given his, his, the serious injuries and, and sort of the damage to his property sustained, is he going to be able to come back at, at the Jawas and say, you know, you, you guys are legally responsible for this damage that you caused me. You didn't disclose, you told me I was going after an egg. You didn't say that it was this incredibly dangerous scenario. And I, I wanted to put that to you. I have my own thoughts about it, but I wanted to see what you thought about that situation, Josh. It could have been off screen. So that was entirely possible uh, that it'd it be sketching in the sand, this creature. <laughs> it's, it just, it doesn't all have to be, you know, spelled out because yeah. that way it's a surprise for us watching. So he, he could have known like, okay, if it's a big egg, that means something late it that's equally big. <laughs> Very true. So I, yeah. should be on, I should be on notice that eggs just don't magically appear, that they're, again, if we want to get to the chicken or egg argument, well, it had to come from somewhere. It didn't yeah. magically, you know, come into existence. And, so, and legally, you can't stick your head in the sand. I mean, you can't just ignore context clues. And again, this, this goes to your point about visual storytelling. But there's that great moment as he's staring down just the den. He hasn't seen anything yet. And he sort of locks and che checks his weapon, locks his van braces on his wrists. He's clearly expecting a fight. So he had to have some information or have sort of his wits about him about what he's walking into. Yeah. I initially thought, are we going to see a Sarlacc? <laughs> and, and what we got was better. Cause I yeah. felt like, okay, like that would have been a little too on the nose. It's like, okay, he's going into a big cave. So could that be a Sarlacc pit? I don't know. <laughs> uh, but I, I liked what, I preferred what we got. It was like, oh, this was new. Yeah. There, there's a way to, to do an homage without, you know, making it uh, ring every bell along the way. So, exactly. you know, the infant using the force, that was right. Of, uh, you know, size matters not type, type lifting the X-wing and Empire Strikes Back. This was, in my view, this was a perfect 30 minutes of Star Wars storytelling. Yeah. Uh, any other, well, 
issues jump out to you? What about bringing the little baby into that situation? Uh, you, you made the distinction earlier that, you know, he couldn't have known. He's, he's trying to get the baby back to his ship and certainly couldn't have known that Trandoshan trackers or bounty hunters would have another fob uh, and, and ambush them. But clearly, he this situation I think is a little bit different. Yeah, there's, yeah, there there are two ways to look at it. One is okay. I'm going to a highly different, a dangerous situation, so I'm going to leave him here with my wingman because that seems to be the thing to do. On the flip side, my wingman's going to be with all the Jawas that clearly want him, so that doesn't seem safe. <laughs> uh, he's floating. If he's at least near me and. In, I can at least keep an eye on him that way. Maybe that was the mindset of, I'm not going to ask a third party to fight. Uh, also, I, I have custody of him, so I'm going to keep him with me. Uh, it still seems radically, I don't think there was a, a, a purely safe way out. I think it was yeah. what's the least bad. And I think yeah. the least bad was taking uh, the infant with him. And he does look out for him. He's he's got that wrist control, that wrist and motion control, which is exactly what I need for for you know the bassinet in our house. Just the ability to wave my hand and make it move at will. But uh, he's clearly got that sort of duty on his mind, even if it's not. He's not thinking about it in, in a strict legal sense. He's concerned and trying to take action to protect the baby. Agreed. Agreed. And again, it worked for me. Uh, sure, I did think child endangerment briefly, but <laughs> I also thought like, well, there's no way around this truly. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, yeah, you, you, I mean, you either leave him in a potentially uh, bad situation that could be real bad, or you take him on one that could go either way. Yeah, it's, what's the reasonably prudent man going to do? Well, take him, I, I think is the, is the answer here. <laughs> It's, it's uh, difficult to raise a baby it is in, uh, in the Outer Rim. That's the, the takeaway from two episodes in The Mandalorian. Oh, boy, howdy. <laughs> you then get Rebuilding the Ship, which was a, a wonderful montage of, well, we better get to work. Um, if you're going to get stuck with somebody, having somebody who's like a really, really good mechanic, and uh, I mean, Lord knows what his backstory was, uh, but he clearly knows how to build spaceships yeah and it i think it's an it's an interesting play here because certainly they didn't he didn't hire kuil to help him with this job uh and you see this really profound cultural aspect of either kuil or just the ognaughts in general crop up as the mandalorian tries to give him a, a cut of the bounty and he says no you're my guest and I'm obliged to, to help you in whatever way I can. And that's something you see reflected in societies across the globe. And it, it's really, really neat to see that here. And, and uh, you see this, him, him try a secondary sort of way to, to show gratitude by bringing him onto his crew. And he says, I worked a lifetime to free myself of servitude and knowing sort of the, the other stories where we've seen Ugnats and not great situations. I thought that was a really cool moment. Yeah. Hondo. Yeah. There's uh, <laughs> lots of ways that, that can end badly. Um, again, it's still weird seeing one speak basic, but I'm, 
it's Nick especially Nolte. with Nick Nick Nolte's voice coming out of it. I'm still adjusting. <laughs> it's like I'm good. I'm good. It's it's a little hard to take, but I'm good. Uh, other things that you know just struck me on you know the the geek level. Now the character doesn't speak much, so Pablo Pascal has lots of physical storytelling, like how he you know, cocks his head either way. Uh, again, it's not just, you know, just standing there. He, it's acting and it's not pantomiming. It's like literally physical storytelling and it works. That's, it just really strikes me as being really neat. And the action uh, throughout this was equally well done. And it also highlights to me, yeah, we can totally have a Kenobi series on Tatooine and he doesn't have to leave the planet. Yeah, and there doesn't have to be a lot of dialogue to make it compelling. I, I think that the interactions you see, the, the advancement in his relationship with that baby was done with three words in this entire episode. Spit that out, <laughs> right? You know, that's all he said to this this little one. And yet still you feel like you have a bond to both of those characters and they have a bond with one another. That's, you know, maybe not quite parent child, but uh, it's, it's a lot different than last episode. There's also the scene with the, the opening fight at the beginning with the other bounty hunters with the camera from the point of view from behind the infant's head. Mm -hmm. And I, I enjoyed that as you know, like so, okay so we're seeing what the infant sees and he's he's watching all of this uh transpire and that little puppet's so damn good <laughs> uh, it's like make it cute make it emotive make it so people want to die for it <laughs> i i was at a disney store this weekend and walked in and immediately demanded all the baby yoda toys that they had and they kind of cocked their head and said soon <laughs> you must wait yeah it's like hope it's before december 24th because yeah. uh those could be really effective stocking stuffers Por porgs are old news now it's it's all baby yoda <laughs> you talk about the wheel has turned yeah well my wife was like you know what i no longer think that baby Ewoks are the cutest thing that I've ever seen in a movie. And I was like, that's a powerful statement right there. The eyes, the way the puppet emotes. Yeah. It's just like his little hand reaching up. It's just <laughs> like, oh my God, how did they do that? How did they figure out how to tell a story with a puppet and a guy not talking and to get people emotionally involved with it? Yeah, when his little noises and coos yeah i want to adopt one right now <laughs> <laughs> this is your brother evie <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, it's don't piss him off he'll levitate you <laughs> he seems pretty well balanced and uh, uh despite getting kind of a view of the dark side uh right out of the gate there's uh, a lot there lot there well this uh again i absolutely adore the season uh, series it gives me hope each week to see it and again we're only two episodes in and it's 
I mean, we're in a new world order. Yeah. When I, I, I said before the season started that I was glad that they weren't dumping the entire season out at once and I could not be happier as hard as it's going to be to wait another few days for episode three. It gives us a chance to slow down and process everything because so much has been dumped into each one of these that I know myself and I would have gobbled up all the entire first season in a matter of hours and just not really appreciated it. But this gives us a chance to sort of catch our breath and, and really kind of dive into it because there's just a lot layered into each one of these. That's that much is clear so far. Absolutely. It's, it's why I enjoy it. Uh, Having event television again, I mean, again, clearly made by guys born in the seventies who were used to having to wait a week for continued next, you know, what happens next? Like we're used to cliffhangers and there was something lost with streaming services having an entire series debut it's like okay here are 12 episodes of series x and people lose a weekend watching all of them and while there's something fun to that it's also you know it it sucks part of the joy out of the experience yeah Uh, because you you might not fully appreciate it especially like you know a series that's 12 episodes you know, eight might all you really need. And, it's and I think it, it, it really drives Game of Thrones. And, and maybe if you want to go onto a streaming platform and, and think about something like Handmaid's Tale, which is, is on, you know, a, a much lower level in terms of the, the hype and rabid fan base. But um, in terms of shows that have that weekly release and have that sort of, um, passion generated in the fan base i think it absolutely energizes the fan base even more um and and just the way these episodes are crafted it just plays beautifully into this episodic release sequence that they've decided on which is really great and it allows us to be able to do a deep dive and talk about issues in them yeah i mean because otherwise it'd, it'd be very tough to sit here and string out and break down uh you know, everything with at the pace that they're on right now through two episodes, you know, we'd, we'd have to split things into a while and, and, you know, it'd be a while, you know, months, if not weeks until we could process through all that. This is a lot more meaningful. Yeah. It's, it has value and merit and we look forward to it and it brings people joy. Now, one of, um, uh, I have a friend uh, down South who, um, she puts together different like small cons and she said her like her daughter wasn't into like all the toys she gets because she does toy reviews so she gets mm-hmm. toys sent to her and like her kids just aren't into it and they're the right age uh, she said on Facebook uh, granted spoilery and I um, that was the only thing that bothered me but um, like her daughter stopped what she was doing is when the infant came on screen <laughs> And completely and totally hooked in the second episode. So it's like, okay. Mommy, when are you going to get those toys? I'd be interested in playing with those. <laughs> it's, you know, uh, Favreau knows storytelling. Yeah. It's just <laughs> only only thing to it. They, the, the folks at Lucasfilm and Disney know what they're doing. And uh, they, they, hats off. 
hats off. Well, with that, uh, we, we don't need to go like an hour and a half for each episode. So let's just say that this was a ton of fun and we look forward to taking a dive into the next episode, whatever that might be named. And my uh, best legal advice for everybody out there to include the two of us is if you see a ship that looks like it might belong to a Mandalorian, just keep on walking. Go, go uh, steal from somebody else's craft. <laughs> <laughs> yeah don't 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 disintegrate people that's uh <laughs> there, there are very specific circumstances when you could do that without massive legal repercussions that's your that's your free legal advice for this episode <laughs> yeah very very narrow window of where that's justifiable what we saw this was not justifiable <laughs> so uh small details well with that everyone stay geeky stay geeky america